Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's July 5th, 2018, as we are streaming this episode before tonight's game between the Houston Astros and the Chicago White Sox. Trying something different as we don't often have pregame versions of this show, but let's see how it works out. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July as the Chicago White Sox received mixed results from their trek to Cincinnati. They lost two out of three, but you could make the case that maybe the White Sox could have swept the Reds. And you can also make the case that maybe the Reds should have swept the White Sox. We'll chime in on our thoughts from the highlights from this series, bring you a preview of this weekend's four-game series in Houston, and hopefully it goes a lot better for the White Sox than the series back in April where the Astros swept the White Sox at the south side, outscoring them 27-2. to Also some transaction news to touch on as Nick Magical officially signs with the White Sox for full slot value and will make his first appearance down in Arizona before joining the Kannapolis Intimidators. Also, starting pitcher Don Roach, one of Charlotte's All-Stars, is leaving the White Sox organization and will now pitch in Japan. What does this mean for pitching depth in AAA? Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox Red Series had some highs and some lows. What was your big takeaway from these three games? I think it was the kind of fun, wild, ragged, uneven baseball that I think White Sox fans are hoping for in a losing season. I mean, the first, especially the first couple months, June was all right, but for April and May were just boring. You know, they're flat and, you know, it's one thing to be um, bad, but um, for different reasons, like, you know, have a different part fail each game or, you know, sometimes bats don't show up, sometimes the runs flow, but also the pitching, you know, um, 
gives up a ton and such. With the way the White Sox were losing early on, it was pretty monotonous. But this is the kind of, you know, maybe the Reds are partially to blame or the reason why, because their pitching staff is pretty thin up top. But it was the kind of fun back-and-forth baseball. They made some plays with their legs. Um, they played better defense than the Reds at times. Um, you know, it, it seemed like uh, there were fun things to watch all over, even if some parts were also incredibly frustrating. The positives from this series between the White Sox and the Reds that I jotted down. One, Obviously Garcia. Six for 13 in this series, Jim. Three solo home runs. He has a 14-game mm-hmm. hitting streak going, and he's pulling the ball with authority, which is something we have been clamoring for since we started podcasting. Are we witnessing another step in Avi's evolution of being a hitter after his lengthy disabled list stint? I like what I'm seeing so far because, you know, we've seen him pull breaking balls, like mistake breaking balls to left field, but not really the kind of, um, you know, power he's showing against inner half fastballs, inside corner fastballs, 96 miles per hour. He's turning them around and sending them to the second deck. So, so that part is new and it's exciting. I think, you know, right now there might be a bit of a trade-off with, you know, how little he's walking. Um, you know, I think that's one thing, you know, I don't know if it's playing a game of whack-a-mole or, whether it's just, you know, early struggles, you know, where he was really out of sorts and really jumping and everything. And maybe the post-injury Avi shouldn't be lumped in with that guy beforehand. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's, I guess his chief flaw is a bit different than it was last year, but he's showing a strength that he didn't show. So I welcome it because I think that when it comes to production and really tapping into his strength, which is really supposed to be his calling card all along, um, pulling the ball in the air is the way to get the most production and value from him. Yeah, he suddenly goes from a hitter that's never hit more than 20 home runs to where if this approach sticks, Jim, there's no doubt in my mind he can hit 25 home runs just because of his natural power. Yeah, and I, I think right now the biggest gap in his game or the biggest um, you know, problem, what's holding him back is... I don't think his uh, leg is 100% just because watching him um, run down the first baseline, um, you know, seeing him get to second on doubles a little bit slower than you're used to, seeing some sluggishness in his routes, um, you know, and, and that uh, one ball that he didn't catch or get to um, on uh, yesterday's game, uh, Dylan Covey gave the line drive to right center and he had this kind of graceless diving attempt that, um, you know, it, where it looked like he was maybe like 30 pounds heavier than he was. And it's not really, I don't think it's the case, but just the way he's moving right now. And I think that's really due to the hamstring issue. I don't think he's all the way back yet because I think whether it's the hamstring or the knee, which he also aggravated, one of those things is I think slowing him down. Would it be beneficial for the White Sox to have him DH? I don't think it hurt. Um, yeah. Um, uh, when it comes to the defensive alignment without him, I think you lose a little bit, especially say if... Leori is not 100% with his hand, and, you know, you have Palka and right instead of Palka and left where he can do less damage. Uh, you know, it's not perfect, but I think once in a while, especially, say, if, um, you know, say Abreu's banged up and they want to get Davidson on the field, you know, maybe they play Davidson at first. You know, maybe they put Avi at DH and they go with a sub, um, subpar or, I guess, suboptimal defensive lineman out there for a game. Well, he doesn't have to run too much if he keeps hitting bombs. So there you go, Avi. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like, yeah, maybe it's a matter of necessity. (laughs) Yeah, I have to hit this out of the ballpark or everything I'm hitting is going to be a single no matter where it's in the ballpark. Yeah, that's 
That's kind of like Frank Thomas after 2004. That is true. <laughs> that is that is very true. Another hitter that had a good weekend, Yoan Mikata. He was 6 for 15. He had a home run. He had a bases clearing triple. That was huge in the White Sox victory. He also hit two doubles, and he had six RBIs in these three games. This was a good series for Mikata, Jim. Do you think it will continue this weekend in Houston? Well, you know, I think the Reds and Astros pitching staffs are on two slightly different levels. So I'm going to say I'm not optimistic, but I think, you know, you know, when I talked about the White Sox being wildly uneven, I think it's the same thing with Moncada. He did have some bad at bats. He did have some at bats where he got screwed by a two strike call. I think this one was more in a check swing than on a pitch out of the zone, but you know, he still has the habit of not catching a break on bad counts, but on the other hand, he did um, you know, show aggressiveness on that triple. It was in a little bit off the plate, but it was a pitch he was looking for. He did not get backed into a 3-2 corner when he didn't have to be. And on the homer he hit, it was a 3-2 cha- uh, curveball. It was a really bad curveball, but you know, we've seen him before either get out guessed on 3-2 or you know, just not make the most of it and, and any kind of two-strike count. And in this case, you know, he got a spinner and he clubbed it. So I, I think that's the kind of play when you when you factor that in and also um, no real notable notable defensive miscues. Um, yeah, I think it's what you want to see from him. Excitement. Um, yeah, his game's going to be incomplete, and I think you're going to see that, uh, you know, evidence of that, but I'd rather, I guess, see that only in terms of strikeouts rather than on the field, too. The other positive that I have from this series is the White Sox bullpen, with the exception of Chris Volstad. 11 and one-third innings pitch, Jim. They only allowed one earned run, striking out 20 and walking only eight. Even Bruce Rondon had a good appearance. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Rondon got lucky a couple of times. That one drive that hit off the very top of the yellow padding and bounced back in, um, you know, for a double rather than a homer. So, I mean, he's not looking great and not missing bats the way he did early on. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the bullpen and how tired it's been, how overworked it's been, and I think Dylan Covey, um, you know, only getting knocked out or, you know, getting knocked out in the fourth inning. And, you know, that's the last thing that bullpen needed still hanging in there and, and seeing Avalon uh, go longer than he usually does. And seeing Sedano being used against, you know, both sides of hitters and having no issues. I think that's, those are the kind of positive developments um, that I think are, are heartening um, just because you, when you see how the White Sox bullpen has operated, you know, in the first couple of months when, you know, the matchups weren't there or say in previous years, you know, it's just nice to have that kind of resilience, even if they are, you know, pretty much undermanned every game. When it comes to the negatives, I don't think it's necessarily fair to pile the negatives or the losses on a couple of players in a nine inning game when there's a bunch of things that could happen on the field. But Chris Volstead, Lucas Giolito, and Dylan Covey did not make things easy for the White Sox in these three games, Jim, in Cincinnati. Starting with Chris Volstead, is this just a matter of using him in the wrong spots that's amplifying his downfall in his appearances? I think that has something to do with maybe the feel of it, but I, I think um, you know the quality is just going to be the same. His his value is you know providing innings, and in a case like um, in a, in a case like Wednesday's game. He didn't get through an inning, and that's I think you know a a result of him not having swing and miss stuff. And then when it gets in the air, especially in say warm weather in a small ballpark, you know it poses problems. So, and especially when he spikes a throw home when it's the easiest throw in the world, 
that's the uh, kind of <laughs> stuff that I think is frustrating, regardless of leverage. And and you know, Rick Sutcliffe said that he can help a contender, and I think uh, <laughs> listening to Rick Sutcliffe in that, that ESPN game, I think. White Sox fans may want to remember that when they complain that ESPN doesn't pay enough attention to him, because I think if Rick Sutcliffe is the guy paying attention to him, uh, they're better off going without it until, you know, they're actually contending and drawing the, the A crew instead of the uh, the C team. <laughs> That's a good one. Rick Sutcliffe did not have a good night broadcasting. No. Let's just say that. <laughs> I, I don't get his appeal. I That's what I tweeted out. I'm still amazed after all of this time, Jim, that ESPN... Has him broadcasting games. He sounds He's affable. Very... You know, he sounds like a pleasant guy, but I don't. Yeah, it just, uh, you know, it's it's, it's kind of like the Hawk Harrelson thing in which, you know, you listen to him complain long enough and, and you listen to him. Well, in this case, it was the same game where his, you know, he'd get into this, uh, you know, kind of cranky complaint about starters not going long enough and how, you know, relievers, um, you know, there aren't enough relievers. And then, you know, he goes on in the eighth inning and talks about how Chris Volstad is going to be a great reliever and because, you know, he can, you know, step out of the starting role and, and you know, add miles per hour. And it's just the, uh, aside from, you know, once I realized, you know, well, actually it was, I realized that part first, I realized the part where he's saying, oh, he's undermining what he's saying before about any reliever being better once he's out of the rotation. And I realized, wait, he's talking about Chris Volstad helping a contender. <laughs> and I had to go back <laughs> and listen and just to make sure before I, I tweeted just because I want to be wrong about that. But yeah, as implausible as it was, he went on, you know, for quite a bit of time, you know, when the, when the words, uh, uh, when the broadcast team wasn't talking about Joey Votto for three innings, uh, they talked about Chris Volstad helping a contender it really wasn't great work. Hey, man, I'm not going to stop any team wanting to trade any prospects for Chris Volstead. We just need Rick Sutcliffe in charge of one. <laughs> Rick Sutcliffe, GM of the Chicago White Sox. Yoan Mikata would be in Birmingham. And Chris Volstead would be the closer. <laughs> yeah. oh, I mean, like, well, with Mankata, you know, I can kind of see that. I've seen other people say that. I think Keith Law is the one who I think you know, has said that. He could stand to benefit more from AAA. I think I'm a little bit skeptical of that, just because I think we saw him in Charlotte before. I think he's somebody who's too talented to learn from lesser pitching, and I think he just has to learn a hard lesson in the majors. But uh, that one, I think, was a little um, more forgivable. Although the fact that Makata hit a homer right after he said that was kind of like uh, Tim McCarver yep. saying, "Brad Lidge, the taste is out now." And <laughs> Scotty Pod's taking them deep. Ah, great moments in White Sox broadcasting history. The other two, Lucas Giolito and Dylan Covey. Giolito had a bad first inning, first four batters scored, and he allowed a big three-run homer, but he got the no decision, so thumbs up. Uh, (laughs) Dylan Covey, he was good for three innings, Jim, but then he allows six runs and he can't escape out of the fourth inning. And something I've noticed is that Giolito and Covey, they have these spurts in a game, right, where they go two to three innings and it's clean. But then the big inning happens. And for whatever reason, when things start to get a little awry, it just continues to pile on an avalanche into a really big crooked number. And it puts the White Sox in a bad position for the rest of the game. Is there anything different that these two pitchers need to do when there is a hint of trouble or does Renteria need to have a quicker hook for these two before it gets out of hand? Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, to answer the second question first, given how short they're working and how much the bullpen has been worked and how little wins matter right now, I think, um, 
you know, I don't think there's any problem with the length of hooks. You know, maybe at some point uh, there is, but I mean, if they're getting bombed in the first inning or in the fourth inning and the bullpen's been worked and they still have another series in Houston to go and, um, you know, there's no immediate help on the horizon, then I think they just have to take their lumps. And I think in some cases, um, you know, especially I think that was one of Ozzy's strengths when he was a manager taking over for Jerry Manuel is that he let pitchers take lumps um, and, and that Manuel had too short of a hook. So I don't necessarily mind, um, you know, I guess the kind of beatings they take when they take them. Cause I mean, they're fast. It's not a matter of like working too hard or ramping up the pitch count, going one turn through the order too many. It's not any kind of you know mistakes that Renteria just isn't learning. It's just more a matter of, we would like to get another inning from you um, and we hope it just goes okay. You know, it's not necessarily results based at this point. So um, when it comes to the other parts, um, you know, not necessarily. I think with Covey, um, you know, the sinker's just getting up and, you know, in the game, you know, in, in game recaps and post-game quotes, you know, they talked about a couple different things. One was talking about the fact that in uh, wearing, wearing the 4th of July uniforms, they don't have a change of tops to, you know, when they're sweating, you know, to dry them off a little bit. And that was one, that was actually one good part of Rick Sutcliffe's commentary was they pointed out that, um, you know, that he didn't notice the rosin bag behind him. And Kevin Smith had to point out, you know, might want to try drying off your, uh, <laughs> drying off your hand and your wrist and such. So, you know, moisture doesn't accumulate and that seemed to bother him. And, you know, maybe Giolito the same thing. But uh, when it comes to, you know, Covey, I think it's more a matter of, you know, I guess that's why I was skeptical to buy in sinker slider guy. The sinker just has to be good, um, you know, longer than Covey's shown he can throw it, you know, well, because, um, you know, it's just a limited amount of hooks he can give a hitter. You know, it has to be low sinkers and sliders, and that's about it. I think Giolito is the more confusing one just because, you know, before it was attributable to his fastball not having enough life. Uh, now, at least when it comes to velocity, he's throwing 94, 95, 96. You know, the velocity is where it should be. Just the command's been bad. I think maybe he gets a little bit too predictable the first time through or something. But, um, you know, his mistakes are getting uh, pounded pretty hard. And, you know, I guess maybe he doesn't have enough confidence in the secondary stuff to pitch backwards or, you know, set pitch, you know, set hitters up with, uh, you know, first pitch curveball, dropping that in or, you know, change this more. I think he's been kind of fastball dependent. Even with a better fastball, it's not really doing much for him. Maybe he needs to work with Matt Davidson on sequencing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I hope he figures it out because his next start, which we're going to be previewing the Houston Astros series in a moment, is on Sunday against this Houston Astros lineup and any mistakes that he makes against them. And it could get ugly in a hurry. Dylan Covey will not be facing the Houston Astros this weekend. But before we preview that weekend series that starts tonight at 7 o'clock as we will take Sox Machine live to the first pitch of tonight's game, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with, flan- for, with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I just use SeatGeek to get some tickets for next weekend series. The series before the All-Star game when the Kansas City Royals are coming to town because I figure, hey, the White Sox should be able to win those games. And I love using SeatGeek because they have 
amazing deals on tickets using their deal score. They search all the seats and tell you where you can get the most bang for your buck. The tickets are on my phone. I don't have to print them, so it's easy access into the stadium. And if you haven't used SeatGeek before, I highly recommend it. And you have an opportunity to save some money with them by using our promo code SOCKSMACHINE. That's promo code SOCKSMACHINE to save $20 off on your first purchase, whether on SeatGeek.com or on the SeatGeek app. And again, now that four-game series this weekend between the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros are 57 and 31 on the season. They are first place in the American League West, one and a half games ahead of the Seattle Mariners, who are not going away. They're the second best team in Major League Baseball record-wise behind the Boston Red Sox. Your pitching problems for this series starting tonight in Old Ale Central matchup. It is Carlos Rodon against Justin Verlander. Tomorrow, Friday at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Ronaldo Lopez against Lance McCullers Jr. On Saturday at 3.10 p.m. Central Time, and man, I hope this is not a nationwide broadcast, it is James Shields against Charlie Morton. And on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito against Dallas Keuchel. And the reason why I do not want to see a nationwide broadcast on Saturday is because I do not want to see the White Sox get murdered nationwide. (laughs) Instead, just keep it regional. Anyways, what I'm looking for in this series, Jim, more than two runs scored. As I said in the intro of this show, last time that these two teams met back in late April, the Houston Astros swept the White Sox and outscored them 27-2. to And I wouldn't be shocked, Jim, if the White Sox got swept again by the Astros. Any chance, though, you can beam some hope for Sox fans for this weekend? Well, I think uh, when you look at the pitching matchups, Justin Verlander has come down to earth a little bit. Um, you know, the home runs have ticked up, been a bit more hittable. ERA is now over two when it was... Um, you know, nearly won before, you know, entering the month. Um, so, you know, th- there's a little bit of hope there. Um, you know, he probably looks the most uh, gettable at this point. But, man, when you look at the rest of their starters, when you look at their hitters, I mean, I was, I was comparing the, the lineups, and the Astros have eight regulars with OPSs over 800 in the last 30 days. <laughs> The White Sox have two. Three if you count James Shields, who is one for wow. two. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, like, they're just, yeah, it's just a deep lineup. It's a deep rotation. You know, McCullers is on extra rest, um, I think, because they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, nursing his innings a little bit. Keuchel seems like he's back on track. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. And, yeah, I just hope for not the demoralizing nature of the games that you know, get <laughs> at a you know guaranteed rate field where it's just like yeah these one team is uh you know october baseball the other team might be triple a you know they stepped up though in early june in boston and yeah. they won that series so maybe there's a chance here that if they could split it against the astros in houston that is remarkable because obviously the Houston Astros, Jim, are the barometer, right? This is where we are hoping the White Sox are in 2020 or 2021, maybe Andor. And it'd be terrific if they are able to step up, especially in the starts for Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito, the young guns. If they can go 
and be able to survive or even be effective six, maybe get to the seventh inning against this stacked Astros lineup. This could be a good morale boost when they do come home for two games against the Cardinals and three games against the Royals as things wrap up before the all-star break. There's my you know my chance to beam some hope, but as you mentioned, Jim, this lineup is stacked. They're the second best team in Major League Baseball for a reason. They do everything incredibly well, and it wouldn't shock me if they make it back to the World Series again. Yeah, they were my pick for the American League, and you know, my pick for the National League is not looking so good right now. The St. Louis Cardinals. Um, yeah, they're kind of an uh, you know they're having front office squabbles with Dexter Fowler. And Isn't that just- crazy? What what's yeah. the purpose of that? I don't know, but and, and I don't get the defense of Mike Matheny either. He's kind of like Robin Tentura situation, except with a better talent pipeline. Circle back to Rick Sutcliffe. I'm still shocked that Mike Matheny is still the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yep, I thought but, he. Yeah, been. the Astros. Yeah, <laughs> the Astros are looking just as good as. So at least we got one league rights right now. So. Well, some transaction news as we wrap up the show here, as we're just a few minutes away from the first pitch between the White Sox and the Houston Astros tonight. Starting with the first pick of the Chicago White Sox Major League Baseball draft in June, Oregon State second baseman Nick Madrigal. He signs with the White Sox today for full slot value at $6.4 million. He will start tonight in Arizona, and he'll be there for the next couple of nights before making his way to joining the Canapolis Intimidators, where we'll see him play some shortstop. Do you like the assignment, Jim? Yeah, because he was a shortstop at Oregon State. He got bumped off to second because they had a better shortstop. And I think, you know, if he has the physical tools for it, at least for the minors, they're better off, you know, I guess, putting him at the high end of the defensive spectrum, you know, just so they make sure that they didn't inherit somebody else's roster restrictions because, you know, if they, you know, pigeonhole him at second and he could have been shortstop all along, then that would have been a great loss. So at least they'll learn something. And, you know, as he moves up and he can probably play shortstop passably in, in a ball and such. And I think, uh, you know, when it gets to the higher minors and you look at the playmaking there and you look at what the White Sox need, then you can, you know, move him either, you know, whether it's one direction or the other off shortstop, but, um, you know, that's just probably the best base for him to show how much arm strength he has and how much range he has. And that's going to be key for Madrigal, having watched him during his college season. Can he make the throw, moving to his right at shortstop, in the hole between short and third? If he can do that, then yeah, I think he can stick long-term at shortstop. And it gives the White Sox another option with Nick Madrigal down the road. If he struggles with that throw, then the floor or the backup plan or the known plan is the kid's going to stick at second base and he's going to be really, really good at second base. What would you consider a successful 2018 season for Madrigal since that he only has a couple of months this season to play after he's had a really long college season? I would like to see immediate results in a ball um, just because last year, um, you know, they had Jake Berger and, you know, he's coming off a long season and such, but the fact they didn't show much power in Canapolis was a little bit disappointing. And same thing with, you know, Zach Collins, when you have these polished college bats that don't really, um, you know, stand out in a ball, that's a little bit, uh, concerning and, and you know, a little bit, uh, you know, not that it has, I guess, long-term ramifications. We don't know what Berger would have done in his first full pro season. And, you know, we've seen Collins be very uneven. So I guess, you know, given, their inconsistencies and, and, and struggles starting out their pro careers. I would like to see Madrigal just, you know, 
as advertised in A-ball, whether it's Kannapolis or Winston-Salem. And you know, I imagine he'll finish the season in Winston-Salem, um, but for now he gets to play shortstop. Uh, Kannapolis and Laz Rivera, who's you know having a nice transition to the dash, you know he can play more shortstop there, and you know he's already proven you know Kannapolis is nothing to show him. So I think right now that's the best allocation of talent you know um, and experience. Well, Madrigal could bring his winning attitude over to Kannapolis, and hopefully. They play well enough in the second half to either get the wild card. Again, they lost the division by one game in the wild card system in the South Atlantic League in Sally is if you have a repeat division winner in the second half, they take the wild card team who had the best overall record. So Canapolis still has a shot at that, even though they're playing 500 baseball right now in the second half. If Magical's winning attitude can transition well for Canapolis in the second half. Uh, Maybe he'll play some playoff baseball for the Intimidators. Or if not, as you mentioned, Jim, he can join the Dash when they are in the postseason. The last transaction news, and I'm not exactly sure how significant it is, more so how interesting the timing of this transaction is going. Don Roach is leaving the Chicago White Sox and heading to Japan. Roach was quite successful for the Charlotte Knights. He's 9-2 with a 2.65 ERA. In 95 innings, he didn't strike out a lot of batters as he only had 61 strikeouts in those 95 innings. But Jim, he helped out eating innings in AAA and he looked good doing it or at least kept the opponents to a minimum. And he could have been a handy emergency starter if the Sox needed one. With Roach leaving, how does the emergency starting pitching stack up for the White Sox? That's a good question. I think, you know, Roach was always a bit of an outside shot just because he was off the roster and they do have a lot of guys to add to the roster over the coming, um, you know, whether it's months or, you know, after the season. So I don't know if they want to carry it away when it comes to adding non-roster guys, but I think for the time being, you know, whether it's, um, it, it does clear the path, I guess, for Michael Kopech. And maybe I guess that's the positive interpretation of you know this news is that when it comes to you know the next charlotte pitcher called up and perhaps the next charlotte pitcher who can you know provide innings um you know or i guess multiple starts not just one spot start but you know calling up with a chance to stick i think you know it could be kopech um at this point because uh there really isn't anybody else the other one would be jordan stevens who's pitching well and you know maybe if the White Sox are, you know, continuing to give Kopech tough love when it comes to, uh, you know, pitch usage and walks and such, and I think Stevens would be the guy, and maybe he's the one, you know, especially if he's going to be added to the 40-man roster at some point anyway, he might be the guy that gets the call rather than um, than Kopech. But either way, I think between those two, you probably have somebody who can take those starts uh, that Roach would have taken, and I think Roach's case, um, you know, it's probably a case where, you know, Best case scenario for him with the White Sox, he gets a couple spot starts. He gets a pro-rated major league salary for as long as he's up versus, you know, I imagine with this opportunity in Japan, you know, it's probably a much bigger payday for him, much bigger guaranteed payday, and at least gives him a year to, um, you know, earn money that wasn't available to him right now. And, you know, perhaps he does what um, uh, Carlos Torres did, Remember, if you remember him, um, you know, White yeah. Sox reliever. Um, you know, he had a couple, you know, you know, a couple, meh, you know, like four A years with the White Sox, uh, you know, as a starter and reliever. Didn't really impress in the majors, you know, showed a lot at AAA. Um, after a couple up and down years, he went to Japan, came back, and now he's carved out a relief career for himself. So I think, uh, 
you know, ideally for uh, Roach, he kind of gets the same thing going where he gets some money, he gets some regular playing time, and teams get a fresh look at him, you know, come next year. Uh, and I guess the, the downside would be he has a career like Anthony Renato, who went to uh, Korea when he was on the periphery of the White Sox rotation picture and just did not have a good year there. And I don't think he's pitched this year in, in any kind of organized sense. So, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's the risk you take when you go to, uh, you know, play ball overseas. But in thinking this case, you know, he probably got a deal and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he signed for or what he's going to sign for, but probably one where he's just making a lot more money um, this year and that in an opportunity that really wasn't going to be here for him in the States uh, financially. That's why AAA baseball is so weird to watch and not exactly the best for development just because you do have situations like Don Roach. You have players like him who have had some experience in Major League Baseball and they have these opportunities and, and they leave. It, it's not so much scouting from other Major League Baseball teams as much as Korea and Japan is also scouting AAA for players like Don Roach that, hey, Major League Baseball, if you're not going to use these guys, uh, we could use them. Yeah. And, and they sign them away. No, it's cool, though. I mean, like, it's, it's you know, I think uh, um, Miles Miklas and uh, St. Louis, you know, he had that nice little turnaround there with a couple of years overseas. So I think, you know, it's, it's fun that, you know, players get, um, you know, second chances and second looks and, um, you know, can go overseas and, you know, whether reinvent themselves or pitch in a different way that, um, you know, they weren't being advised to or didn't have success with in the majors and didn't really feel like experimenting. It's a lot of fun. And it's, uh, and I think the players who do succeed over there get a lot out of it culturally. Well, that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Enjoy tonight's game, everyone. And for those that listen to the recording of this episode, we'll be recapping the Astro series on Monday, Sox Machine Podcast, as we'll have our best friend of the show, Dan Zaborski, joining us as we take a look at Zips and what Zips is projecting for the second half for the Chicago White Sox. If you just discovered SoxMachine.com and the podcast and you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on iTunes, Spotify, Audioboom.com slash SoxMachine and Google Podcasts where you can now tell your smartphone and home devices, hey Google, play the Sox Machine podcast and it actually works, which is really cool. If you like our work and want to help support us, sign up to become a friend of the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash to receive additional content each week from the show and website. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.